gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, <coughs> welcome to another episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I'm your host this week, the ESSR Savage, Strack. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to go really well. Um, we're going to be talking about the TNA X Division back in the early 2000s this week. So let's introduce my panel and get this show on the road. Woo! Um, since we're doing the X Division show, I think we should have some X-Men on the show. <laughs> so first of all, this man is similar to Professor X, not that he's bald or in a wheelchair. But if you ever seen his fiance, it's the only explanation that he's got a hot girlfriend. <laughs> it's Stephen Bogson. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting far worse. How you doing, Strut? I'm not bad, mate. How are you? Aye, good, good. I've got some slur and I'm ready to go. It's not slur, it's a little bit of a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. Uh, because you're helping us out with this show, mate, I'm going to take it easy on you. Unlike my next person. Canoes <laughs> <laughs> <Kandus> already. <laughs> This man's been given the nickname the Nightcrawler. Well, that's according to his Tinder profile. But he's merely like Cyclops. He sits in his room, plays with his one red eye. <laughs> it's Scott McLeod. Alright. How are you, Scott? I'm fine. I'm <laughs> life's, life's good now. It's my birthday. I've got a bit of the bubbly. I'm the champion right now. I'm, I'm, and I deserve that. Ah, well, I heard the last thing you said about my wrestling school. <laughs> Whose business, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Not great after that. <laughs> I thought it was a glowing endorsement. So, um, just before we get kicked off a little bit of housekeeping, um, for a back catalogue of other episodes, make sure to subscribe to us on all good podcast sites, iTunes, Android, Spotify, etc. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, also, we've got the website, which is suplexretweet.com. If you want to check out our things like People on, the, people on the panel, interviews were previously done, etc. Things like that. So, kicking us off for the X Division as the birth of the X Division. So, the X Division originally was produced in the 2002 era, which was TNA's attempt at a mixed division. Not really high flyers, not really strong style, not really submission, just a mix of everything. Um, it brought us some really good stars, some really good matches. It kicked things off. Um, to, I think a new style of wrestling because the wrestling had really been back in the 90s kind of big guys scoop slams power bombs that's pretty much it whereas the X Division came in and kind of you had your hurricane runners because you only really seen things like that in the lightweight division the WWE mm-hmm. like Taka Michinoku Aguila things like that you only really seen for that, that but then this came along and you had a whole new superstars to, to basically discover so Stephen Wilson, what was your first memories of the X Division? Uh, I've pretty much kind of what you said there, Strack. It was a, uh, I think they kind of like this was at the point where WCW and ECW had uh, been faded away and been bought by WWE. So it took a lot of the aspects that we saw from their their, their the kind of thing. WCW had the cruiserweight division, which was all the high flying stuff. ECW was just crazy. So the X Division when it first started was kind of like we're going to mesh these together. We're not going to care how big you are, we're not going to care how small you are, but if you can fly, if you can take risks, this is what we want to see. And as you say, it felt different. And I think Aye. that's what made it really, really good to start with. It was something that we hadn't been, we weren't seeing. We were only seeing WWE really, the big guys kind of 
taking prevalence at this point. Aye. So I as think you, it was, as you said, WCW had the lightweight division and mm-hmm. it was really good. Yeah, but it was still kind of just the lightweight division. Yeah, exactly. It was it kind was, of a catchweight type aye. idea. Kind of what we're seeing now with the two or five live in WWE. It was very. It's kind of pigeonholed. Yeah, exactly. Aye. Yeah. Whereas this, this wasn't anybody. I mean, Abyss won the X division title at one point. <laughs> Abyss. Oh, oh yeah, that's when he started like. Uh, quoting like quoting like things from the Bible or something. No, it was the Art of War by. I've got to say Feng Shui, but isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> feng Shui, not the way you arrange your furniture in Japanese culture. It's something like that. But, um, Scott, what do, you, what do you remember of the X Division? I think I first got my look into everything towards the end of the 2000s, leading towards our 2010. We had like the J Lethal, you had Doug Williams in the division, but I've had to, I've gone back to a lot of the early days and. It's quite clear that a lot of what the independent scene would become in the late mid 2000s when it started to really blow up and the style that was developing, a lot of that stuff is also prevalent in the in the X Division because you had the cruiserweights and that in WCW and they were doing stuff that hadn't been, hadn't been done before and it was good for TNA to set themselves apart for WWE by having this type of style. These guys were taking what was being done in WCW and that and they were putting it up to a whole new level and it's very much probably the style that we see today because pretty much nowadays everybody does dies everybody does similar moves here but back then this is stuff was still fairly new to a lot of people I because coming out of the attitude there I mean how many as you said there's got how many weeks would you see a tope suicida <laughs> like how rarely would you see that how, how much would you see that in American wrestling mm-hmm. pretty much back then the only two people I knew had done this dive early tap was RVD and AJ Styles but even then that was it. <laughs> AJ Styles he would, this was his kind of coming out in TNA but Aye. RVD on a, on a national stage I mean this was like a year post the invasion and he'd only just been getting like he's the bigger recognition he got in WWE obviously ECW he was the regular for about 6-7 years but to kind of with this one kind of idea it was kind of like it's what we kind of want to see kind of with uh, AEW kind of now if the aspect that people like about that is the wrestling aspect of it, how good quality their stars are, and they don't really, the, the aspect that some people don't like is the focusing on the competition. At this point, you didn't really see TNA. Very rarely would they mention, if I remember anyway, mention the comp- mention WWE. I think they done a dig at them because remember they remember Test and Albert. Oh, yeah. They put them as a team and called them TNA. Mm. And I think it was kind of like a dig as if they're not really tend to be taken seriously. But as you say, they weren't really a threat then. Mm. But it was something alternative because I, that's the reason I got into TNA because I was just, there wasn't a master of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched TNA and X Division, I thought, that's mere what I did. It's mere high flying martial arts kind of yeah. stuff. It was about 2005, 2006, I kind of got my first one. I think it was on, was it on Bravo at that point in time? I think yeah. it might have been on Oh, I remember Bravo. Ah, Amazing yeah. channel. Good old days. <laughs> <good old, but, laughs> I think I know what you like on Bravo. <laughs> Hot fast twelve, boom boom. <laughs> but they, but they Is sh- that all it required? Boom boom. Here's a boom boom boom. But they showed, <laughs> they showed all the, they showed like TNA pay per views from start to finish. Aye. Like I think it was like a five hour, five hour streak or something like that. I felt it would be about twenty minutes long, but you would get a flavour of all these kind of guys you were seeing in there, the likes of AJ Styles, Chris, guys we maybe talk about later, Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, maybe some names we don't even see, hear about more, like Matt Bentley, Michael Shane. You know, there's. There's, there was a multitude of guys who came for the X Division with being started. I mean, you look at the very first four guys that were in the Fatal Four Way for the title AJ, Jerry Lynn, Low Key, and Psychosis. Mm-hmm. Psychosis needed really remembers now, but he was an amazing luchador. He was in 
Mexico, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Aye, yeah. him, Juventus Guerrero, and Super Crazy. <laughs> but I thought yeah. I top from Super Crazy, I'm quite proud of that one. Sorry. <laughs> My psychosis is the only guy I know that ever got unmasked and people shouted for him to put the mask back on. Uh, so no, no for the time. fact that he oh, it looked good with the mask, he was just really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's better looking now. I think, well, one of the things I've, I, I, I hated when the X Division go on a wee bit, when it went on a wee bit more, is when we talked there about the weight thing. See, when they put the weight limit on, maybe about 2011, 2013, didn't feel as, that's when you kind of thought, this isn't as special mm-hmm. as it, it once was. Eric Bischoff had done that, it was Eric Bischoff coming and done the promo, and it was after a best one, that could see the feud with Brian Kendrick, mm-hmm. and I remember that, because it came out and then Eric Bischoff said, I think it was 205 or it was 210, that's the limit for the weights, and I was like, well, you wouldn't have had guys like Samoa Joe in the X Division, who, as we'll talk about later, him, AJ and Daniel said that one of the most amazing feuds you'll ever see, not just in TNA, but in wrestling all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just amazing, like, how... It was a simple, it's a simple formula. I mean, mm-hmm. they tried, as the years went on, they tried to... As they were getting more prominent, as the mainstream broke out, they were trying to tinker with it. And it just... They just failed to create the magic that with the early days. I think probably around about between 2000 and... When they first started in 2002, maybe up to about... 2008, 2009, that was kind of like the, the kind of golden era for this type of division, I'd say. Aye, it was definitely that. Um, I mean, you had it started to emerge a bit, and the guys who obviously were getting really well in it started then moving into the heavyweights. Like AJ went into the heavyweight, the Daniels kind of started to float towards that, and then you kind of the guys falling away for the division. But you still had the main solid guys like Chris Sabin, Alex Shelley, Petey Williams, um, Loki, Sanjay Dutt. You'd all the guys, and every time you look, you would see it all the time, people go, oh, it's always a triple threat. It's like, good. Because mm-hmm. a triple threat, they just go for it. It's not a case of one guy on one. You know they're going to absolutely rip the Houston. Even so, even the, some of the names you mentioned, even the kind of the lower guys were, um, were given a bit of a chance to shine, I think. I, I remember when they kind of what they should have done with 205 Live they integrated them a lot with the main yeah. roster there was a spell I think we had a Johnny Devine he ended up training the X Division and got to the Team 3D Aye. at one point in time there was a point where uh, Kevin Nash was t- pretty much taking on the division and eventually took on a lot of these guys as his own for the uh, part of the paparazzi was it paparazzi I, either or something? paparazzi productions paparazzi productions when Alex Shelley was a wee bit creepy. And, uh, was he like, going with his DDP and just like stalking people around people with the camera? It's when they set up a camera at the start of the ring, you're like, you doing with that? There's, there's like four cameras around, but you mate, you don't need this, we're on DVD next week. But he was getting, <laughs> but he was getting like prominently featured on TV even at that point in time, Aye. so they were, even if the guys weren't in the title picture, they were getting used really well. You mean you had Petey Williams tagging up with Scott Steiner? Yeah. Which was hilarious. That was great stuff. It's it? just, it the same kind of build, but just like a mini me version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's a good physique, but you're looking going. It's like that advert for the cheese thing. It's like you're so little. It, it, it was next to Scott Steiner, <laughs> but it did really create. That's what we'll, we'll obviously say on this is the stars that created. You've you've named a, a lot there. So you've got AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, Alex Shelley. Jay Lethal yeah. Fire names here Go for it uh, I was going to say You mentioned Did you mention Christopher Daniels And Chris yep. Sabin Yep Well I can't think of anybody else <laughs> There's so many You had the Bucks as well 
they kind of th- people, people, people forget about the box because obviously they weren't the, they weren't the box then it was Generation Me that time, but the, was it the surnames were Buck? Aye, the surname was, Je- was it Jeremy Max and Jeremy Max Buck. and Jeremy Buck but, and then they try to split them up as well but they had that uh, memorable first match they had even though it's a tag match it's still classed as X Division because of the guys that were in when they took on them was it the motorship they took on the, the machine guns the they first, took on the machine guns on, that, on their first impact and you seen them and this was before they were in New Japan this was before Bullet Club this was before Elite and they were it just captured your imagination and this was probably around about 2008 time so this was not very early days this is kind of as it's been established a bit more but it was amazing just some of these guys that could captivate you even though they had even not even the high flying guys you look at guys like as you mentioned Loki he was not He's not a traditional high flyer. No. He's a guy who will kick you, he will stomp on you. Uh, I was going to say, the only time he flies was jump off rope to kick you in the face. It's kind of, it wasn't all about high flying, but you had guys, let's like, say, Samoa Joe, people wouldn't know what to dub him, but then when you put him in the X Division, it then all of a sudden started opening up and opening up, and then you had guys like AJ, who would never have been in the world title picture, started open up and open up then you had so many guys mm-hmm. well, like you said like we talked about the integration between people like one of the best things to come out of the division I think is when they put Saban and Shelley together and formed the machines and then they went out and the tag teams and they beat like some beer money in Team 3D and then they had that series with the Bucks they had a Full Metal Mayhem match they had matches of like Bound for Glory 2010 and that was like one of the best feuds they had there and these were guys that were deemed X Division guys mm. and like you look at that four way we had for the chip in the first champion you had him quite a Mexico because you had Psychosis who was a big star in, in Mexico he had a feud with Rey Mysterio and ECW so he had a bit of a name around him you had Jerry Lynn who was kind of a veteran in that time and you had the two guys who were a bit more unknown to most people worked with Loki and AJ and they would both be main stars in the division I think we, I don't know if you guys would agree the, the right decision was to put AJ as the first champion Aye. Oh yeah, because he had the talent. He showed that through. I think by the time he had that match, we'll talk about later on with him, Joe, and Daniels, he was a three-time champion, I think, or something like that. In the X Division, he was a, like a maybe like a three-time triple crown because he'd won it that many times. He was he was establishing himself as the face of the division. But cause I remember when I first started watching, I was Joe was some more. Joe was the one you kind of looked at him and you think this guy should. He was kind of the first, even though AJ was the champ. He was the kind of first guy you could imagine that he used that X Division. Just to pummel his way through the div- through the whole company, you know, because he started off and he just kind of built his way up, built his way up, and then eventually got to the the championship. And then he didn't. At that point, he didn't even think he needed the belt because he was it was just a different style. But it kind of worked. It worked so well. When Joe had into that, well, obviously the triple threat we're going to talk about later. When Joe had into that, he was undefeated, it and it wasn't ages. as if they'd done it as if everybody was beneath him like oh he's, he's just running through these guys so nobody else has really got a platform it was the fact that the matches he had were really they were so good but he was undefeated but it didn't make the other guys look bad and I say then you, you Joe kind of progress up and then he had that feud with Angle when Angle first title went title for title they had high, point, didn't they? Yeah. and everybody remembers that that feud with Kurt Angle and of small Joe because it was just so intense but yet again would that have happened if Joe was in the X Division? If they just brought him in? I wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have happened because he kind of, at the point Joe came in, this was the point where TNA started to bring in a lot more of the big names. It came just before uh, the Dudleys came in, Christian came in not long after that, Sting made his return, 
I, I talked about Angle came back in like a year or so later, so he might have not got the same, he would have looked maybe a bit out of place, but with the X Division, he had something that he could have to work with and just kind of build his name up because even though he'd been in Ring of Honor for maybe about in the couple of years before that, Ring of Honor was not as well known as it is no. to the general wrestling public at that point in time. Yeah, because they'd started around the same time and they mentioned it on commentary when Joe makes his debut, they mentioned he'd just come off a, like an 18 month reign as Ring of Honor World Champion where he'd been unstoppable mm-hmm. and they built him up and then they hyped him up again in TNA and made him like undefeated for ages and I think the best thing for Joe is to help showcase his dominance was putting him in the X Division because a lot of the guys were a bit smaller than like what people would classify as a big guy in wrestling so compared to Joe when Joe would, would throw people out and suplex them in the X Division it made it a lot more impressive because the guys could fly up and they could sell for him more and also Joe was more well he could do the high fly and he was more of a striker and the smishing guy so he could catch you with like, the, the clutch the muscle bust the muscle buster look what brutal brutal when he did it on that one because of just the, as you said that it was all high flyers he wasn't really taking the same one to the big guys and then once it got to the big guys it looked completely dominant in that type of thing it just he had, he, had, he was the complete package he just needed the time to show why yeah because we could easily have brought him in in the heavyweight division but they could, he probably could have been seen as another guy and plus in 2005 he was brought in it was when Jeff Jarrett had that bloody stranglehold on the belt so he probably just been another guy for Jeff Jarrett to beat so keeping him in the X division for a while and I've gradually letting him go up it's something when we look at different styles of the guys in the X division it reminds me of what New Japan does with their juniors because mm-hmm. while this wasn't based on size or weight limit at the start like you have a mix of guys because you have your high flyers you have your more technical and striking guys and you've got guys like Joe who like the guys in the juniors who are closer to the weight limit they, they've got more muscle than their traditional junior, so when they throw people about, when they're because they're doing it with other smaller guys and other juniors, they look stronger, they look more intimidating, whereas if they were doing it with other heavyweights, they would probably be just they, lost in the shuffle. They kind of had that way when Homicide was in that division, for yeah. uh, Homicide from LAX, if you're not familiar with him. Because <laughs> uh, he he's not a small... He's small in terms compared to Hernandez, his tag partner. Aye. But he wasn't exactly a high-flyer type guy, but when he was in the in the X Division he came across really hard hitting as well compared to some of the guys he's up against at that time like Sanjay Dutt and everything like that at all and Jay Lethal you know see I think we made it better for Samoa Joe and Homicide and guys like that was see the guys who they were up against were really good bumpers I mean Mm -hmm. you watch AJ back then and he would just fold like a wallet if he got hot with something and it looked so much more brutal Mm -hmm. whereas the Scott says if Joe had a hot a bigger guy with that they just back bumped it mm-hmm. and you've been like that that it but as like Daniel's hitting the BME he was just look so you're like oh double jump and if Joe caught him and spiked him and it just looked so brutal and then you had things like AJ doing the topi out to the side and yeah again if you've done that to just normal big guys it wouldn't look as good a bump but the guys who was underneath it looked like they were getting crushed see with Daniel see a lot of the guys the current fan base that kind of see him more for his SCU stuff, uh, uh, we kind of think this is his peak at his age. But see, when he was up, that fallen angel character back back then, it was just he was just so condescending. He was so arrogant, and he was allowed <laughs> just to run roughshod at times. But it, he, as a heel, stood out so well when he had that. I think it was maybe about 160 day run as a uh, champion at one point in time something we forget about uh, this one is they were allowed to they had quite a few weird characters as well like they had Shark Boy who, who for a while thought he was uh, 
he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> oh, it's like it's like Bobby Roberts when he became Stone Cold Steve Austin, but like a lot funnier. <laughs> Give me a shell, yeah. Even though sharks don't have shells. It was it. Was the Daniels became Curry Man? Ah, uh, that was true. I didn't <laughs> believe that. I refused to believe that. But then it's like that is true. That and I thought. I hate the gimmick, but I also think it's really funny at the same time. Also, he and Kazarian would take turns playing uh, Suicide, who was basically a video game character coming to life, and then TJ Perkins would take over the role and become Manic. Aye, I remember that actually. TJP was the guy actually revealed as um, yeah, as a suicide character aye. by Hulk Hogan of all people. Yeah, yeah he's always been suicide. Like, I, I very much doubt that. <laughs> you like, watch it every week, going, why does his physique and height keep changing? <laughs> oh, it's his boots. No, that's not a right explanation. <laughs> you mentioned Kazarian, though. He's a guy kind of oh, falls under the radar as, as well. That's what I'm saying. There's, the stars that created, there's so many guys. I mean, if you get like, the Best X Division Volume 1 and Volume 2, a lot of it isn't the same guys. It's all different guys that are brought in to have different styles. Mm-hmm. And the thought, that's what I think was so creative about that time when it first started, was I think they actually stood back and went, who would he be good with? Who would he be good with? And what would we get if we put them together? I think it was like mad science where they were like, we'll just pour these things together and see what happens. Sometimes they experimented and it didn't quite work out. Like yeah, some it did, went set, horribly. Uh, the serotonin stable of uh, Kaz, Bentley and Divine. Uh, yeah, just when some, uh, Raven was a manager. Some some uh, of them just went they absolutely were, nowhere. Uh, they were just losing them. Uh, Raven would beat them and berate them after but matches. So they just I think the only thing that good came for that one is that when they split up, Kaz got his push. And he was pushed kind of as the T- as the X Division guy against the main roster guys. I think he ended up beating Christian for a oh. shot of the for a shot of the title. Sorry, I'm laughing because there's something that happened in that match. They had a ladder match for their own contendership, which could only happen in TNA where it was a clipboard with a contract on it, and the contracts fell at one point. Aye. So basically, there were two guys fighting over a clipboard, and <laughs> Kaz had his moment. He won. Yeah, he's won a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the oh, so move on to that as well. Um, Good transition, Scott. Thank you. Um, we'll move on, obviously, to the Ultimate X match, mm-hmm. which produced some amazing matches. Some, as Scott says, with a clipboard. <laughs> also, the big foam red X <laughs> that, as soon as somebody took a bump in the ring, fell off. And the ref would do, oh, wait, 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 we're going to put that back. Just two seconds, put it back up, and it filled in again. Um, but you, you got the Ultimate X match in 2003. Um, because of the unique, obviously, structure of NXT, NXT, NXT <laughs> DNA's uh, ring was six-sided, which I thought made it stand out for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You got the uh, the Ultimate X, which was a match where they said, there's, a, there's titles going to be hanging above the ring. How do we get to it? Can we use a ladder? No. What do we do? Climb the ropes. <laughs> well, somebody kicks me. Ah, well. <laughs> which happened quite a lot I mean have you, obviously uh, well, so how many of the X Division have you seen of the Ultimate X so many and this is kind of some of the earliest memories I actually got the uh, was it the best moments of TNA DVD which got released probably just about 2007 time and there were so many of them that were Ultimate X matches but see if you kind of look you look back behind sight 16 years later in that first match and you think no way should this work but there was something about it with the guys involved that they just made it work. It was kind of... We talked about a couple of weeks ago with the TLC match. A lot of that success of that TLC and the history with it is based on the early matches and the guys who were in it. But the gap... Even though some of the guys in the original matches, like, who knows what's happened to Matt Bentley recently? <laughs> or Michael Shane as he was known there. But he was the, he seemed to be Mr. Ultimate XL on just because he's athleticism. Aye. You know? uh, and I think they must have just been told go out there and just be creative for a while because you need to be 
I'm just wondering how it came about because I mean, like, somebody must have just stood in the ring and looked at the corners and went, We can get four posts in here. <laughs> then do what? Put two ropes either side, then hang a belt off it. Then what? We'll just have guys who are heavily fatigued climb across it. <laughs> I mean, Scott, what's, what is your, your memories of the Ultimate X? Oh, I remember it, it being so weird when I first saw it because, like, I didn't really work out what the hell is this supposed to mean. <laughs> and, like, Wilson said, like, it shouldn't work, but, like, it's one of the things where. Coming up with gimmick matches, like if you're a new company, it's quite difficult because WWE seems to have trademarked all of the best ones. Like we've seen that with the Casino Battle Royal. They were trying to come up with something different and it just looks overly complicated. But like these guys maybe pull it off because if you're just doing it for the heavyweights, I don't think it would be the same, whereas these guys can do a lot of creative and innovative stuff. And like what was good about it is when they would go outside of the division and like have tag team ones, like you had like the Bucks and uh, sorry, Darius Mazer were known then and the machine guns. Aye. I think Beermine took part in an Ultimate X match at one point. You had uh, Daniels and Styles versus Homicide and Hernandez. I've got to say the LAX so, one, that uh, was good. So, so the sight of Hernandez trying to climb, well, I was like, the size I mean, you just leap up a wee bit and grab onto the ropes, you didn't need to climb up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you think to yourself, Hernandez, just throw Homicide up the way. Just uh, on his shoulders. <laughs> no one ever did that. <laughs> I don't think I remember MD ever actually doing that. No, I think there was one where somebody somebody teamed up and they just put their feet on their shoulders and walked across with their horns. But the person at the bottom got a run and drop kick in the face and it just fell. <laughs> what, was, what was also scary is sometimes they would climb up the wee, like the pillars or whatever you call them, they look like scaffolds. Really. Aye. Like, and the way they were designed, like, sometimes they would climb up right up to the top and then lower themselves on the X and like, you have heard that chant, please don't die. This was very much the case. These guys were so worried, what are they going to do? What? Like one slip, you catch your foot in it and you're fucked. It was a lot of ba- it was a lot of balance. It was, it was aye. There I mean, was so much poise to it, you know. The one with the the, the young bucks were in that. It was um, I'm sure it was Nick took like a almost like a shoulder thrust into the ring post, but it was in that scaffolding, <laughs> and he just went straight through it and just stopped. And I looked at him and he broke his shoulder. He's he's there's no way he's hit that at that speed at that angle, and he hasn't got a popped shoulder. Or remember the one with the AJ, the drop kick. Oh, and he flipped himself and basically powerbombed himself about 20 feet in the air. He, he basically he's swinging from the road and just goes, whoa, and pops <laughs> around. He's just one of the guys where, yet again, he's, he's, a, he's a bump monkey. And it's just a great <laughs> thing. No, because there's guys that's, if you say to them, I want to do a spot, they'll go, well, I can, I can launch myself out of that. Jeff Hardy's another one. You can chuck him off his stuff and... It'll make it look like he's just died. Mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels was kind of the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the psycho, psycho said just kept powerbombing him because he's like, that. it just looks so good. See, see the thing you talked about earlier on, the things getting messed up. I think at times that kind of added to the to the fun of it because it wasn't a match that looked naturally. That you, you, it, see when you see matches like like botch things, like you, you like see when a tape somebody does a t- does a table spot and it doesn't break. You kind of think that's should that's what should happen, but see when people see the people going across these ropes and then the the the, the, the X that's hanging just off the, this very loosely falls off. You're like, well, that makes a bit of sense, you know. <laughs> it makes it more realistic because I mean, you you watch matches and I heard this years ago. Somebody says the matches shouldn't look too polished because how much what you watch UFC. You expect a UFC like a Rocky movie, two guys to slug it out and it last half an hour, and then out of nowhere something's a flying knee in the face and they're done. Mm. That's it. Kind of makes it a bit more realistic. So I mean, as you say, the mistakes in the match kind of make it a bit more realistic. Although do you know 
the finish to the the match at Bound for Glory 2005 wasn't actually meant to happen. Was that one again? The that was the one where uh, it was Peter Williams, Matt Bentley, and I think it was uh, Chris Saban. And uh, the X fell. X fell twice in the match. One time it fell, and the ref stopped the match, stopped everything going to get the thing back up, and then it fell again. But it fell into Petey Williams' arms. <laughs> so Petey Williams was declared the winner. <laughs> so <laughs> to, to actually had to then do a rematch like a month later on an impact show where the right fo- well, but Petey Williams actually won again. <laughs> so so really he won two later then win. I think I don't think he was I think he was meant to win, but I don't think he was meant to win like that. Yeah. So I think they had to redo it and that type of time. So we ended up getting two Ultimate X matches in the space of Two months. So like so many things like it looks better when there's a title there, but it looks a bit silly when you've got this bloody X thing on there, but like it's one of those things like TLC where you know TLC they would change it sometimes where you just basically need to win by pin floor submission, but it works when you've got some you can't do it unless you've got something you need to climb up and grab. Otherwise what's the point in having the match? So sometimes they would have to sub in like for a title shot they'd sub in a big X. Like <laughs> that's, that's kinda of the match that you do need that you need you need the thing there to be chased for because I mean as you say the TLC matches where it was came on by pinfall mm-hmm. I remember I got a WWE game and I picked TLC match and I kept climbing the ladder in the middle of the match looking for the belt mm-hmm. and I'm like why is this not working Where, where's the belt I thought it was glitched do you remember the variation the Elevation X match they did the variated one with oh, the, right. the, scaf- with the scaffolding aye, it was uh, Rhino and AJ it was Rhino and AJ aye because uh, I don't think Rhino would have, the, the ropes wouldn't have held Rhino if he tried to climb across it. Rhino hits the safest looking goal you've ever seen in your life. I think he runs like two minutes. He runs really, really slow because he can't really do it. But it was that was weird. And the thing about TNA is that uh, the Ultimate X, I think, kind of encouraged them to try out the box matches, mm. and occasionally they worked. But Kate, but with the likes of uh, what's it called, the Kick of the Mountain match, yeah, and the weird. Reverse Battle Royal. Uh, the, the King of the Mountain was just really it's, it's, as silly as the King of the Mountain match was like having to hang up a belt and earn the right to hang up a belt if that, it, it was TNA's basically signature match for a few years I remember one year at Slammiversary they did two and one of them was for the X Division and like so for in that sense it was almost a case of like well they're getting the X Division guys to do their like do their like key match mm-hmm. so at least they were being included at the best spot of that match is before it even starts because Suicide's the champion and the lights go out and he would usually like propel on a sit wire. So the lights go out and then he appears on that penalty box they had and just dives off on everybody. <laughs> it, it was it's a it was a confusing type of scenario, but I think the thing about the X the Ultimate X one it was a fa- it's a fairly simple format. Mm-hmm. But it's it was still different and it's something that it's a it's, it's a trademark of TNA. If you look back at TNA and you think what's the what's the signature match other than the King of the Mountain one was for a bit but it's not had as lo- the longevity mm. but people always look back on Ultimate X as a thing that kind of helped put this company on the map even when it wasn't like Ultimate X there was always a guarantee usually on a pay-per-view there'd be some in the mid 2000s at least there'd be some sort of multi-man X division match it was kind of like how WCW did they'd always start off with the cruiserweights to get the crowd wild up so like as much as people say like, oh, getting everybody in the car like if you're guys in the X division you've always got a platform seemingly whether it's an X division match uh, X- Ultimate X match or whatever type of match they were always getting a shot on pay-per-view and they were always relied on to start the show off mm-hmm. sometimes they would even throw that match quite late on in the card the best one when I did my research was the, the Destination X pay-per-view of 2011 which was a pretty much a full 
card of the X Division kind of guys had uh, Brian Kendrick beat Abyss for that X Division that we talked about but that Ultimate X was kind of late on in the match it was kind of upper mid card so it was the type of way that they kind of they could do what Scott said they could have they could open with it and then let, let obviously get the crowd up yeah. but it was one they could rely on late on kind of like the TLC WrestleMania 17 that was kind of very late on in the card they had then it had to, it was followed by the likes of uh, what was it Gimmick Battle Royal uh, the Gimmick Battle Royal but then <laughs> uh, Undertaker Triple H and then Stone Cold and The Rock so they could rely on it both sides and I think that's the indication of it being a good gimmick match I think as you say it's a good gimmick match but at the same time it's always going to be entertaining oh yeah it's always going to have it's when you watch a match and you go this is going to have some form of entertainment in it. like the Young Bucks when they had the, against the Lucha Brothers you're like, oh, it's going to, the first match was really entertaining and then he said oh it's going to be a ladder match and you went well this is going to be entertaining <laughs> oh, the greatest ladder match of all time apparently and, oh, it, was, it, was, it was good but yeah. that's what I think was also good as well is going to be a bit back to the stars I created I think a lot of the guys because they were in the X Division because they were running about that style I think that's what evolved their style to get better mm-hmm. and then now when you look at a lot of the indie circuit a lot of it does have a, lot, a, a good bit of flavour of X Division yeah. It helped kind of define AJ as a he started being an all-rounder type and a mm-hmm. high flyer that one because he was able to do all these moves dangling off of these elevated ropes and you just seen the what he had in his arsenal. Yeah, because like you said, it's got the indie scene right now as a flavour of the like what I said, like the style, what would become the classic like indie style of the independent scene was really started by a lot of these mm-hmm. these guys and everything because probably a lot of them took influence you know, like. All these guys go over because of the risks they were taking. That's kind of a lot that we see on the indies is guys taking risks because they think that'll get the biggest reaction and that'll help get over. Because you look at a guy like Elix Skipper, he got over because and he was in a cage match and he did a little walk along the cage. And, and I, think that's what every, I think that's what everyone remembers him doing, really. These people, as Dave calls them, spot monkeys. <laughs> the same way, uh, I think it was Chase Stevens done the shooting star off the cage in the next... The next match Chase Stevens the other guy in the natural, natural sweet yeah. Andy was Mitchell Mitchell oh I feel so bad I forgot a guy's name um, but I mean he done that dive and very very little people caught him <laughs> but, um, wow <laughs> this guy oh I feel so bad for the guys like, I'm going for a shooting star and everybody went what no and moved um, but I mean the good thing I think it kind of made the X Division was so many different talents came throughout the world I mean you then move into things like the World X Cup which actually has people from other countries not just a World Cup full of Americans <laughs> like a similar a, a, a company we will not, not, will not mention but you had the World X Cup and you had Team Japan Team Mexico um, Team US and Team Canada which were they sometimes changed Japan and Mexico but they mostly kept obviously Canada and the US mm-hmm. but they were always solid matches yeah. especially Team Japan because they always brought amazing guys well, I think that was what was brilliant at that point because we're kind of spoiled now as wrestling fans we've got such access to Everything. all this wrestling around the world I mean you Japan you can just watch it on their um, on demand service and you can pr- pretty much get their events live or a couple of days after it but Back then, it was very. There wasn't such a thing as the WWE Network and all that type of stuff. So there wasn't such a thing as Netflix even. So we couldn't really see this type of stuff. So this was giving us a flavour. Some of the guys that were coming over from that side of the world. I mean, you mentioned with the Japanese, in 2006. Bobby Jushin Thunder Liger was the captain. Uh-huh. You know, 
Hiro- Hiroki, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Hiroki Goto. Yeah. Uh, a winner of the G1 Climax twice, I believe. Yeah. He was on that team as well. You know, some of the talent you were getting there just for, for a, t- a wee tournament, which, let's be honest with you, the, the stakes were not high in this tournament. You know, it wasn't like they were going to go and get a world title shot or anything. There was an actual World Cup and not <laughs> a US Invitational in the far in the Middle East with a Shane McMahon entry. <laughs> a late entry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, it's weird when you see like international talent appearing on stuff like this before they've like broken out like internationally. More people from outside their country know who they are. Because you had uh, T- Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's basically the John Cena of, of New Japan. He's like eight-time world champion. During his first reign, he appeared on Explosion, which is basically TNA's B-show against Elix Skipper. Because clearly in the US, no one has a clue who this guy is. Same with, uh, I know he wasn't in the cup either, but uh, Akada was on Aye. Explosion at one point mm-hmm. as well. And he took on, I think he took, was it when Doug Williams was the exhibition champion? I can't remember exactly. Oh, I think it was, I. When they brought him over and made him basically a Green Hornet parody. But what was good as well is... You had these guys coming in from abroad, but you also had, with the use of Team Canada, it not only gave these kind of guys a prominent position, but it allowed them to kind of storyline continue things, because this was the point we had uh, Team Canada as the the prominent heel stable Mm -hmm. in TNA, so this gave a lot of their guys the chance to kind of, because obviously you know what stables are like, they don't really get the the chance to shine as much, so this was a time to actually show they were good in the ring, we had the likes, probably the best example from that stable was Eddie Young. Yeah, his first initial exposure as a, a single as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was he was in Team Canada, but I don't think he was in the cup. I don't think he was in the cup, but he, he was part of Team he was Canada. Part of team Canada. He, was, he, was a break, he was a breakout star of Team Canada Aye. at that point in time. He, so. I'm pretty sure they stole the Jericho World Cup, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, the Jericho World Cup for a while. Aye, yeah. he had that until he lost the until he, until he was the world champ. Aye, Aye. Aye. no, he cut, he cut out of beer money. Did he? Aye, but like the best, one of the good things about this thing is it's kind of again similarities we. WCW is that in the time where WCW was doing the cruise division, not a lot of people were aware of these people from Mexico and Japan, but it gave WCW this international flavour because they had guys like Ultimo Dragon and the Luchadors, and they had uh, Jushin Liger, and then they were bringing them in here and they were mixing up with some of their guys. And like basically, Japan and Mexico are some of key places for this X Division style. This is where a lot of people probably take influences from, and some of these probably would have worked in their time. And, one of my favourite ones where I was looking back because this is one of the aspects of the exhibition I really had to look up because I didn't really remember it but there was one year where it was uh, the four teams were Team USA Team Japan Team Mexico and Team International which basically is take four guys from random countries put them together I know Doug Williams and Davari were in it it's like Davari not the ca- was Davari not the cat or as he was known then, Sheikh Abdul Bashir. Uh, it's like, the, like that time in, when WCB did that pro wrestling walk up, they did all the different country qualifiers, and then the last one was Rest of the World. <laughs> At least they had a Rest of the World as opposed to said tournament in Saudi Arabia. Uh, yeah. Which had, you know, Arkansas. The, clo- <laughs> the closest person to an international was Rey Mysterio, even though he was born in no, America. The closest, one, the closest one was Drew coming out of his off. <laughs> the closest they had to international. Uh, Scotland still can't get nobody World Cup. <laughs> team UK, but they very nearly had the Team UK as well. Which uh, I looked at this up when I was talking about talking before the show about some of the names that could have been in this Team UK that was replaced by Team Canada in 2006. You had uh, Doug Williams, uh, Nigel McGuinness of uh, commentary fame, <laughs> uh, and the team, they are, they are a team now, but they are prominent single guys as well Johnny Storm and Jody Fleisch. Mm-hmm. You know, could you, Jody Fleisch didn't have a he was briefly, I think, involved in the kind of TNAX division. Could you imagine a guy like Jody Fleisch, oh. even even now, but back then when he was when he was young, being involved in the X division? It was a shame that this team didn't really get the chance to kind of. 
back then, I mean, there was a lot of British guys, especially one person I was like guaranteed this guy will be next division, and it didn't really seem to happen. Pack. Aye. Aye. He, he had a feud with AJ and had an amazing match with AJ. Then he went to New Japan, and you're like, right, he's definitely going to go to TNA and do the X division. It just never seemed to happen, which was really Cause, weird. Cause they did have that relationship with Japan for a while because they had the uh, the book, sorry, Jeremy. So the machine gun, sorry, I can't remember. Machine gun showed up a couple of times with the IWGP like, junior belts Aye. on TV, Cut. and they would defend it on TV. And like, your money were the, sorry, Team 3D. Kurt Angle was IWGP heavyweight champion at one point in time yeah. when, he held all the, when he held all the gold in that feud we talked about with Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe. I know, yeah, even had uh, Kurt Angle appear in a Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome defending that belt. Mm-hmm. And like, so they had that connection for a while. And like, one of the matches I watched was the first one, the World X Cup, it was in 2003 or 2004, where it was Team NWA and Team AAA. Like, basically, USA versus Mexico, basically, they might as well came out and said, and because they were doing it in the TNA Asylum at the time, and they were doing a thing with points based system, they did a series of singles matches before this eight man tie. Team NWA were like a two point disadvantage, so they're playing it up as this is a must win. These guys are the these are the hometown guys, and the crowd in the Asylum were really red hot for the whole match. There was a, an All of My X uh, match as part of that tournament that year. I don't know if it was maybe they did it in other years later on as well, but that first year it was like probably like the fourth or third match, but it was uh, Saban, Pete Williams, and. Uh, the late Hector Garza, mm-hmm. you know, so that was three guys who could go as well, you know, so it was, it was good that, that we talked about the Ultimate X match being a big gimmick match, they were using it in this type of, they were integrated with their tournaments as well, which showed how important it was to them at this point in time, mm-hmm. even allowed these guys, these stars from abroad to show that they are good, you know, and as later years went on we started seeing more of these guys kind of coming across, we kind of realised, we'd already know how good they are, but uh, the X Division was just giving them that type of platform where they weren't kind of stood that they weren't coming over to job per se they were coming over and they were being able to perform on a weekend week out basis and I think that's how they I think too you say there's a really good point as you say Stephen we didn't have the network we didn't have I mean back then we didn't really have YouTube no, we didn't. that was the thing yep. so I mean you've seen these guys and you're like these guys are really really good I mean the machine guns against what was a Japanese team called again the two Japanese boys machine gun I keep forgetting their names and honestly I've watched the matches so many times but I had a chance to go see them live with a couple of guys to the wrestling and I wish I went but they had amazing matches you see guys from Mexico who yet again when you seen them on a platform you went wow I've never I've never heard of these guys but then you see them and go oh they're really good and as Scott made the point they're building relationships with like AAA they're making relations with Japan and they're getting all these other companies and they're all working together which honestly the sad thing is doesn't happen in wrestling enough nah, the, the, all these it's, it's your company and we don't want to work with anybody else it's like well you're just going to kill your own sport they were the original like working relationship with you Japan before their current relationship with Ring of Honor yeah but they had the likes mm-hmm. of the we talked about Kada Tanahashi Sanada came in he had a couple of years yeah. he was ex-division champ as well yeah he was kind of the, a member of this heel faction led by uh, James Storm Oh, and a, what, what were they called again? Uh, the, uh, one of the weirdest matches on Bound for Glory, I'm pretty sure it main evented that year, was the great Muta, who was the kind of mentor to Sada team with Tajiri against Sanada and James Thorman. Because it, it was in Japan that uh, year? It was in Japan that year, but one of the funniest things, like, like the re- main reason that they ended the relationship with New Japan is that New Japan were annoyed at them for making Okada uh, that kind of Kato, Green Hornet style character. 
because when he came back they were going to put him right into the main event scene <laughs> and he's the current champion right Aye. now so they were like what are you doing you're making our main guy look like a bloody joke on your national TV show it's, it's certainly the start it was kind of it's, it's, it, it's had its ups and downs like any kind of division um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to go to a quick break but when we come back we're going to go straight into the AJ Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels feud which was probably the biggest feud and made the X Division what it is because this match their main one that main event is a pay-per-view mm-hmm. so we'll go for a quick break and we'll see you in five alright you rotten smelly wrestling fans it's this guy Kez Evans and you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet I grew up with nothing everything I have today I had to fight for everything I have today I've earned The only thing worse than having nothing is having everything and losing it all. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. And Chris, I didn't want that to happen to you. I know the risks. I know the dangers. And I know to be the best, you have to face your fear. AJ, You say you did it for me? Well, how can I face my family if I give up without trying everything in my power to win? You think you did what's best for me? No one knows what's best for me except me. AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, I fought you both. I've beaten you both. Your friendship means nothing to me. Your conflict means nothing to me. All that matters is my championship. And I will do anything, no matter the cost, to keep it. Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, we have history. But that's all it is, history. I fought too long and too hard to give up now. Think about a future where you never compete again. Tonight, I'll go into this match fully focused on being the X Division champion. Think about a future where you never walk again. No matter what happens, I will never stop until I have what I want. I am the Alpha and the Omega. AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, this is your future. Hi, I'm TJ Perkins, otherwise known as the Cruiser Great, otherwise known as the Villain Flash, and you're listening to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Region. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And welcome back to our show that we're talking about the TNA X Division. Um, we'd like to thank Kez Evans for the soundbite, also for the interview, which will be on the website. It will also be on Spotify, it'll be on our iTunes, and it'll be on anything linked to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Um, next, we're moving on to is the AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels feud that basically was the crowning achievement of the X Division. Their match from Unbreakable 2005 happened 14 years ago today, mm-hmm. which, if anybody's seen that match, it was rated five stars well deservedly. It was a five-star match. It was just so hard-hitting, and there was never a point where the guys had to just stop. It was just constant boom, 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 and it made it so entertaining. Um, 
Scott, the first time you've seen this match, what did you think of it? I remember finding this match because I knew they'd actually faced, and I'll probably talk about it later on, they had a match a couple of years later, but that was for the world title. And in that promo, they mentioned this match. So I went back and watched this match, and I loved it. Uh, what's notable about this is at main event of the preview, as you said, before we went to break, and I think you can clearly see why, because it would be hard to talk this, because given, basically given the fact Raven and Rhino were in the world title match on this pay-per-view, which is weird, but like it is really just a showcase of what the X Division was at the time, just saying, take, we're three best guys, the three guys are probably going to be the biggest stars in the future, and just let them do their thing, and what was great about this thing is the sort of the big moves they've done, the fact that it seemed a seemingly simple move is what ended the match. It was basically a counter from AJ, countering the Angels of the Wings to get a version of a bridging pinfall, and that's what put it away, especially after everything they'd done, like AJ doing the springboard shooting star to the outside, they're doing all these crazy things. Him hitting a spiral attack while Joe's got Daniels in the clutch, like doing all those crazy things, and then this is what ends the match, you can just end like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, as we say there later on, it's realism that makes it a bit mere. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it just goes to show, as you said, about Rhino and. and Raven were the world champion uh, match at that, that pay-per-view but this main evented it just goes to kind of show it's no the title mm-hmm. that makes it it's the guys well, who have got it the thing is well Rhino and Raven were on the poster they were like the they were, the they were two faces so that was made it even more surprising that these three closed the show but it's, it's it was the perfect combination of pretty much what had gone on the few months you had uh, Christopher Daniels who came in he was the champion for probably about I think it was about, six months I think it was six months at that point in time he was running through the division he was probably having his best run in wrestling up till that point you had Samoa Joe who as we talked about in the first half was steamrolling the rest of the division he was unbeaten he was pretty much unstoppable unbreakable if you want to describe <laughs> and then you had uh, AJ Styles who for so long he'd been the face of the division the face of the company it was the perfect match and Pretty much, as, as Scott said, pretty much everything that went on in that match, it was just picture perfect. Some of the some of the hits they were doing on it, some of the selling you were getting on it. The one I remember was after the sh- the springboard shooting star to the outside. Uh, there was a drop kick that DJ lands on Samoa Joe, and Samoa Joe crumbles like anything, which shows uh, the the rebound drop kick. And then there was the kind of was it the springboard into the flip, and, and it, I think it was AJ f- or Daniels flipped AJ into Joe. Or, or oh, I flipped him over and he flipped him over into the Hurricane Aye, just stuff like that. It was just it was so seamlessly done. But you, as you mentioned about the finish, it's not always about the finish. One of the best matches to take place on British soil of all time, in many people's eyes, is the match between Bret Hart and the British Bulldog at SummerSlam at Wembley Stadium. How did that end up? We are counting of a roll, of a of a roll up, you know. And that was everybody recognises that. It's one of the best matches of all time, so it's not always about the big finishes, which I think is the problem nowadays. A lot of people want to see the big, the big massive move. They want to be seeing like the likes of Ricochet who hit the six thirties and that thing. But it's all about how what comes before the finish. As you say, it's the simplest of things. It's they were hitting such big moves, and you thought, well, this is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then as you say, Daniels, he's gone for Angel's wings. That's it. It's finished. And then all of a sudden, AJ, boom, and that was it. And you went, oh, what, what, wait. And the thing about you got to credit Daniels as well. He's in this match, him and Samoa Joe, both the heels. Samoa Joe is a, is a heel who just, you may even say he's a tweener, but he is a heel. He's actually beating guys up for fun. And <laughs> Christopher Daniels comes across as the biggest heel ever when the two of them are battling him. He's just like, stop hitting me! And uh, <laughs> you feel bad for Daniels at the start of this because they just. 
they, they, they chop him and then when he, Tomojo puts him down follows him in Spain then AJ shouts that's not how it's done <laughs> he then volleys him <laughs> then Joe goes I'll have another shot and then as you say Daniel's got up and shouts stop kicking me and then one goes high one goes low and just wipe him out See, so it's you heard it? <laughs> One of the best things about this match is that the way they protected Joe, because they didn't have him win, but he, like, he went for a dive towards uh, Daniels when he's at Rots. Daniels moves and Joe goes crashing the outside, and that's not long before Daniels goes for the Angels wing. So they took Joe out, they protected him, he didn't. He was technically still on the feet because he wasn't pinned in the match, and they were able to get AJ to win, and that would be the start of his thing with Daniels because they would be feeding on and off. For the next few years, they'd be friends one minute, then they were feuding. Like at Bound for Glory, they had a 30 minute Ironman match for that title. And what's weird about this is there wasn't much story going on in any of this match. But then years later, when they would do their other matches together, when there was more story surrounding it, I still don't think those matches were as good as this first one. Because I think they set too high of a bar. Have TNA had another five star match? I don't think so. I don't think there's been such a, a thing as a TNA five star match since then. But it's well, is that according to Mister? I don't want to mention his name. Oh, of course, of course. It's Why would we talk about ratings and not talk about him? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we should we should have a, we should have our own Dave do his ratings. But uh, I no. Think, <laughs> but I think the reason why this has got a five star and it, and it's, if it may have came from he shall not be named. As <laughs> everybody agrees with, nobody's going to if nobody's going to watch this match and say. This wasn't a this wasn't a, a five star match. And as you, as you say, Joe they built up so well. Daniels had the big run and AJ was the face of the company. They basically had every right ingredient and that's what made this feud. I mean, did you did you ever see the Samoa Joe against Christopher Daniels? And he just beat the life out of him. Was that a match or was it was it the end of like a Five on five or something like that. Yeah, they did that one, but then later on, imagine, later on, when Joe had finally got the X division belt, Daniels challenged him for it and beat him so bad that AJ had to throw the towel in, Aye. which really annoyed Daniels. And that's probably how they went back today too. But uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a match and a feud that helped elevate TNA to be a serious player mm-hmm. because you look as they may have had the support, they may have had a big name, they may they didn't have as many of the big names and at that point they had a lot of the guys that came from WCW so without this match you may have not had the same mainstream exposure you may have not been seen as often you know they may have not had all the hype as this was probably around about the time of the internet was starting to become as YouTube and that was becoming a bit more than what they maybe were the three years before it so a lot of people were taking notice and they were saying that these guys could become you know this could be the big promotion to come of it and it wasn't long after that I think or maybe just before I think maybe just after that that they got that, that they debuted on Spike. I think it was around the, the time of the first match because I know it's 2005, 2004, sometime. I'm sure it was. Around that. I'm sure it was just. I think Jared. I think Jared had won the belt when they went back to Spike, or maybe it was. Maybe I can't remember exactly. But they were <laughs> still. They were on national TV at that point time, so it was the perfect time to have this match because they had all the more eyes on them, and you know they delivered and spectacular fashion and the matches they've had since then are not bad yeah, they're just not as good as us no. the thing about them having a 5 star match is I think the main reason was that WWE was in a weird position at this time and wrestling in general was because WWE didn't have any major competitors yet even though TNA was getting more buzz New Japan was going through what's called the dark ages of it before they started building new guys like Tanahashi up so like style, there weren't many 5 star matches because they weren't maybe worse on this style so I think that's part of the reason why this got 5 stars and this was even Joe's first 5 star match he did win a year earlier and he had a 60 minute draw with Punk over the yeah, Ring of Honor title classic match. 
and like you said, like the other matches weren't bad. They just weren't as good as this because they set. I think I said earlier they set a bar because Joe comes out for a second trouble threat with that bloody towel that he had. The that he just I threw used to that to ring all the time, which it. I thought was just a class move. And he, brought, was... and he brought a fresh one for AJ when he was going to bloody him. Uh, the is, is there many better assholes in wrestling than Samoa Joe? Samoa Joe, back then. <laughs> Because that's when I started kind of getting into wrestling, when I started to like, actually wrestle. And I remember a lot of guys I used to speak with and I used to train with, used to like, go to shows and meet Samoa Joe and stuff like that. And I'm like, I, I would never be in a match with him because you've seen him with Daniels, he chops and he hits you. Samoa Joe, have you ever seen Samoa Joe do the face wash? Mm-hmm. He would just drag his boot down your And it wasn't like a, a work, he'd actually just rub his boot off your face and then run at you and then slide Zed boot past your face as he went out the ring so with all his weight behind you hitting you so this this kind of thing where Samoa Joe was probably the best that, that made Samoa Joe I'd say also made AJ and made Daniels look incredible as a as a character one of the best things about him is the way we talk about him being arsehole the way he just does that casual walk away when he sees someone's coming kind of dive outside he just casually walks away Aye. like I can't be dealing with this but I mean the good thing about that that feud was it kind of elevated the X Division title mm-hmm. and as it progressed through the years it, it got a reputation it got momentum and then we came to the stage where it was Austin Aries almost made it into something like a money in the bank type mm-hmm. title whereas in 2012 he gave Hulk Hogan the option and he said let me cash this in and basically go against the, the champion who then was Bobby Roode and he said I want to make this because op- he said he gave him this and he said this and he went I want option C and he said what's that he says I'll cash this title in I'll, g- I'll give you the title back for one shot at the world champion mm-hmm. and the crowd really did pop for that because I remember watching it live because I thought is it going to be title versus title? Because I thought it would look really daft on Bobby Roode, the X Division mm-hmm. title. But then it kind of worked out. It felt big. It was. It, uh, it felt absolutely massive at that point in time. I think it was helped by the fact that Austin Aries had held the title for nearly a year. He mm-hmm. held the title for. I've got my statistics. Three hundred and one days. Aye, so that was a, probably was the. I think it's the longest. Longest reigning X Division champion of all time. So it was like. It was a great bit of storytelling because he felt like there's, he's like, I've got no one else I can beat. I want to take the step up and I think I can do it and I'm willing to give up what I've got. It's He'd been a heel for most of the run as well so it came across as very, un, it was not, it's a very uncowardly thing. It's like, I'm risking everything for that. And it could have been the start of a great bit of storytelling TNA would do but it's a thing that's, I don't think it's quite worked the same since that initial one with Austin Aries, I don't think. No, as you say, it, it had this title for almost a year, so it was kind of like him risking it all, whereas somebody's had it for three months, it doesn't really seem as much as a gamble. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scott, do you remember the option C when it first got announced? Yeah, this is one of the time where I was properly watching TNA week to week. You know, a challenge? Yeah, challenge or, <laughs> or, or trying to find a YouTube where they split it into five parts and for some reason they wouldn't, you couldn't find the third part, you, you find parts two and four. Or some guy's like, well, talking to his mic in a review, you're like, I don't care where's the other part. I don't care what you think, I'll see it so I can form my own opinion. <laughs> but like, I remember seeing it and hearing the idea of it and thinking that's so cool, like, it was a new idea because basically he wanted the shot, like he said, because he couldn't think of anyone else he could beat. But basically Hogan said, like, we can't have you carrying on both belts, so you either keep on being next to champion or you give this up and take the risk of walking away with nothing. And the idea that, like you said, it may, 
adding prestige to the title. It made it, especially around about that time, because it was always around about Destination X, it made it worth getting, especially around that time, because I remember the next few years after it, there'd be times where they'd, do, they'd change the title once or twice in the month leading up to Destination X, because the time guys were thinking, if I have this belt by the time that comes around, I can cash this in, get a shot. Because to a lot of the guys, they probably wouldn't have been put in that position unless they were they had the extra tail that they could cash in. So it was their possibly one and only shot being a world champion. Yeah, but uh, Strack's point was really good. It's like the, the length of the Aries one was the fact that made it a bit more special. But when you say that about that, Scott, and it's kind of flip-flopping week to week to week, and then somebody gets it like the week before. I don't. It doesn't really make a bit of title. I mean, Chris Sabin's a great example. Chris Sabin is a guy we've talked about him on the sh- throughout this whole show so far. He's been a, he's been in the division since day one, near enough. And him winning a world title after about what, eleven years should be an absolute massive deal. But it just did not, you did not buy it at all. And it was made even worse the fact that his first defence, you lost it. Mm-hmm. So it was just like you've you legitimised this ruling. Of option C last year with an absolutely massive victory. It was a big blooming. There was confetti and everything. Aye. I think there was pyro. <laughs> uh, but um, and this, then the next time you use it, it's literally like, oh, we've just done this just to give him something because we know him, he's going to leave in a year and we don't want him leaving without him having, or we don't, it's either that or we don't want him to leave. It's like, well, if you don't want him to leave, keep the belt on him for a few months. Don't just keep giving it to Billy Day. Mm-hmm. It was at that time they were kind of playing hot potato with the world title because Anderson had it, Sibori had it, Sabin had it, Rood had it, Magnus had it. They were kind of going about everywhere with it. Hardy had it. They kind of passed it about quite a lot, but it's just it says Austin Aries had this title for a, almost a year and it felt big, but it, then they tried to replicate it again to Sabin, who I think that's see we were obviously going to go to how we liked the next division, who our favourites was. I did really like Chris Sabin. I thought he was his move set was amazing. It was an amazing guy, but it just felt quite forced. Oh yeah, when he got it, it's hundred percent because he was. I don't think he was doing very much. He came mm. back for an injury. Aye, another one, which was like, I mean, come on, if you're gonna have him, if you're gonna do it, like understand that he, he would leave like a few months later, so they mm. didn't actually know what was gonna happen. So I think if they were had an ideal scenario, he made have it the year after or something like that and kind of build a bit of credibility back but it was just like it, it was and the one since then I mean the most recent one of Brian Cage that fell flat as well because mm. it, he, he didn't even win it you know <laughs> so, it's like the money in bank winners who don't win the actual thing and you're like what was the point the difference as well is you got like the early money in the bank one the best money in the bank winners are ones that you don't really anticipate them winning this feels like their chance to win it so, um, like, it's a Seth Rollins, Edge, this is their chance to use it. But, and they, you look at Austin Aries, I mean, you wouldn't have really imagined him having a, a, ch- a shot without it. Well, as a guy like Brian Gage, mm-hmm. does he really need to cash in an option C? No. no. Which is a bit of a fail. But one of the things, like, the thing with Austin Aries, when he won the title, as great as the moment it was, that title ring fell flat. Because then they, because he was going to fight Jeff Hardy at Ben Flagore, they turned him heel like almost immediately, even though he just turned face a few months earlier. And that started a really bad theme with these option C's, is that the guys who had them weren't always made to look credible. One of the worst ones is the way they did it is uh, when Rockstar Spud won the title, and he was going to cash in, and it was going to be against EC3, who he'd basically been the underling of, and he'd been treated badly. And there was a story if he wanted to get revenge on EC3 when EC3 was like, he's not going to cash in. I mean, like, actually, no, I want to be the world champion. Like, 
he had that all that story behind it, but he looked at the two of them like they're never going to put the belt on Spud. Like if Tini had a twenty four seven title, maybe then. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, definitely option C it was a great idea, but they should have just done it the once. Mm-hmm. They should have just done it the once, and that was it. They shouldn't have made that yearly thing because it didn't feel as belt as special. I mean, we're talking about EC3 and Rockstar Spud being obviously part of that and things. Do you know there's a lot of former X Division stars who are in WWE right now? I mean, just to name a few, um, I mean, we've got obviously AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, um, Jacqueline Wild, is that how you say that? DJZ. See, I've noticed on writing this list. If you say their TNA name, <laughs> they, they will go, who is that? And But they'll know, if I say their NXT name, they'll know who I'm talking about. So it's kind of some people who, like, to a perfect example, Cameron Grimes. Trevor Lee. Trevor Lee, but some people will go, who's Trevor Lee? It's the same guy. But I mean, you've got Johnny Gargano. He was in the X Division when they tried to revamp it. Mm. And they go, so much talent. And then just, it didn't do anything with it. Yet again, it could have been, look at Johnny Gargano now. Exactly. How many five-star matches that guy had? and he's the first triple crown NXT champion Yeah. and NXT uh, TNA it's, oh we'll use it for a couple of matches nah I can't really do much of him you've got Roderick Strong who's a, a, a solid oh, worker great. and stapler he's former X, founder of X Division because he had, if you watch his matches against AJ because he, the way AJ sells the backbreaker stuff just looks horribly painful he has a really good match see on that unbreakable card the thing about that unbreakable card is Everything gets overshadowed by that main event. Aye, aye. But he has a match with Austin Aries, and it's an absolute fantastic match. It's Roddy's first match in TNA, and then him and Aries went on to form a team before he, the two of them get let go because they were later for a few times, which is aye. a shame. But it's amazing how great a career Roddy Strong's had, it's c- considering that's what he's been about for so long. Aye, that's the thing you don't realise. Some of these guys, you go, you've been wrestling for years. I mean, anybody else name any other guys who are. X Division to WWE. Uh, I remember what you said when they were bringing guys in to revamp. Like it was whenever the Action C kit got things, so they'd have tour- wee many tournaments and they'd bring new guys in. They had Tony Nice, who mm-hmm. I, I didn't recognise yep. at the time, but it was probably because he had short hair at the time. Uh, I can't remember what they called, what he, I think he was going by his real name, but he had Trent Barrett, he was like Greg something, I can't Trent remember his second name. He, uh, he was X Division as well. Uh, yep. we, we mentioned him earlier, TJP. Yep. TJP, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, TJP was a great show. Um, Brian Kendrick's one. Yep. He kind of revamped his career in TNA. He yep. talked about winning the exhibition title, and he was having lost to Austin Aries eventually to start that Austin Aries yep. run. You can technically count Austin Aries because he had that run in WWE. Count Austin Aries as well. You've got uh, Drake Maverick, you've got Mike Kanellis, you've got Ed Young. Bobby oh. E's one that's in there now as well. Bobby he's, E. He's, he's obviously not, he's a manager now in NXT. I can't mind what his name is. Now. Robbie, Robert Strassus? Robert Strauss. Strauss. I think that's going by his real name, I think. I think, think. Uh, I think he's changed it again since then. But it's, it's amazing when you think of it because there was a point in time where WWE would just not touch anybody who was coming, who came through TNA mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. And then it came that spell where they had a lot of these heavy, the, the kind of the more heavyweight guys in, and then they brought in like Joe, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, you know, and you were just screaming for so many years, like why you should bring these guys in much, much sooner, mm-hmm. because the the actual another example of a guy actually when you think about it who is off the radar a wee bit Loki. Mm-hmm. Look at <laughs> but, uh, that's for his own reasons. Oh, that's his own fault. <laughs> but uh, when he was, he was when he was Caval 
in the original, oh God, the original NXT. NXT. Aye. I mean, look at that. I mean, that was absolutely. Is he keeping terrible. a low key right now? Yes. <laughs> no, he's, if you know him, he is not keeping a low key. Uh, whatever he's. What he, he called himself low key, then Senshi, and then. He started dressing as Hitman. Val, and then he came but, out as Agent 47, which was weird. But, but look at his. His WWE run, look at that. He went there. He was one. He was one of the first kind of guys to do it, and you can understand how WWE fought TNA the fact that he came in. They gave him the NXT original win, but they paired them with Lay Cool, and then they had absolutely nothing went for six months, and then he got released. Like he won NXT season two, and then all the guys who were annoyed about being eliminated came in and beat the hell out of him. <laughs> like we built the new star. I know, and just had, they just had, he was just a lapdog for Lay Cool. He was just like they were getting dressed and showing off their thing. He was just like. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that very deep voice of his. As you say, there's a lot of guys who came to WWE for TNA. At the time they wouldn't touch them. As soon as they came out, like, oh, I'm going to leave TNA. You're like, well, I'm not going to go to WWE because WWE won't touch them. But then they started bringing in Joe and AJ and Eric Young and Roger Strong. You kind of were a bit paranoid because you thought, I've seen this with WCW. Because remember all the WCW guys came here? And the only people they didn't really bury was RVD and Booker. They buried DDP. They buried... O'Hare, they buried Mark Jindrak and all the other guys. They, they were they were doing really well in WCW. And when WCW under they, they came here. But then you thought oh, they're gonna they're just gonna crumble oh. these guys. AJ's had the best run so far. Yeah. Like remember when he left in twenty thirteen there was still that doubt if he'd ever go to AW and then he laid low for I think it was early twenty thirteen, start twenty fourteen. And then he popped up in New Japan, became leader of the Bill Club, his first match, he wins the world title. Mm-hmm. And he had almost this mini resurgence. He had like great match with Shinsuke on his on his own way out. And then it got announced he's finally coming to the WWE. And now he's like finally he's here. And like I think part of the reason, even after that first year he had when he was having great matches, we talked about, we've talked before about his quality kind of going down. It's one of the things like we talked about this match is the best comparison how good he was. Like, but that was 14 years ago. You think how many bumps, how many matches AJ's had over those years? Like he's gonna slow down over time. Mm-hmm. But I did hear AJ saying a, a comment. Somebody said, "Oh, you don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do that." He says, "Why would I do it all in one match?" He says, "Then I've got nothing to gaze for the next match." And right. I thought that's a point. There's, there's, you can't just go for it all and then go the next match. What am I going to do? And it's great. It's, 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 it's great storytelling. The thing that a lot of these guys have, um, a lot of these guys have benefited for a spell. Some of them mm-hmm. uh, of the NXT product of the NXT brand. Because if you most pretty much all the names we've came up with, apart from Brian Kendrick, Tony Nice, and uh, Drake Maverick, they've all kind of they've all been in NXT at some point in time, mm. or AJ Styles as well. Actually, he went straight up, uh, and I think that kind of it kind of works for him a wee bit. But then there's obvious there's that kind of when the transition goes where they go to Raw or SmackDown, which is the issue with Eric Young. You look at Eric Young's run in TNA, he was a he was a world champion TNA as well that's yep. one of the things we forget as well because uh, it was that forgetful of run he had as champ uh, <laughs> it seemed though the, the WWE at that time were trying to clone the Daniel Bryan that's thing what, that, that, and that's how Derek Young didn't seem unique because it seemed like oh we're just copying what they're doing but, and then he went when he went to it was a surprise when he went to NXT but mm. then they gave him the sanity stuff which is absolutely amazing and then oh, yes. and then once he moved them to the main roster pretty much nothing happened nah. with him you know uh, probably Roddy 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 Strong is a is a, probably one of the best examples of a lot. If you take away the likes of Styles and Joe, Roddy Strong is a, a great example of a guy who's just. Could you imagine what would have happened with him if he had had a more a longer run in TNA? I mean, I know he had such a great run in Ring of Honor, but and uh, pro wrestling girl. Honestly, I don't think they would have done it in TNA. I don't think they knew what to do with him. 
Mm-hmm. It was the same with the initial, uh, see before, see when Aries was first there, before he came back and had that long run, they didn't have a clue what to do with him either. He was part of that paparazzi productions we were talking about. And she changed the name to Austin Star. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely terrible. But like, I think we all stayed at, sorry, Roger Strong, he probably would have been in the mid-card for TNA for quite a while, because remember when at the time he came out of TNA is when he was starting in Ring of Honor, and it still took him ages, he was always in a tag team with somebody. And he and it took him to like 2011 to finally win the world title. So I think he's, one of his best runs he's having at the moment is being a part of in Disputed Era. And somebody who came in from TNA who I think they had a big opportunity with because you made the comparison to 205 Live. You had TJP coming in from TNA, mm-hmm. winning the Cruiserweight Classic, becoming Cruiserweight Champion. They could have done a built 205 Live around him, and they gave him to Brian Kenny within two months of coming to Raw. Somebody sorry who had a brief part of the exhibition in TNA who we didn't mention is in WWE. Uh, Mark Andrews. Oh, yeah, I saw he did. Very, very brief run. I'm trying to remember exactly because I know he was in early TNA. Was, did CM Punk have involvement in the X Division or was no, he just outside of it? He was. I know he they was appeared on with Raven. They put him, Raven, and Mickey James. Aye. I think it was actually at that point. Oh. I couldn't remember exactly if he, was a, if he had because he kind of fits the bill for that. But. What was funny is almost every other indie, he and Raven were feuding, and then you turn on TNA and he, Punk's trying desperately to team with Raven. But you get that though, there's a lot of times you see other like companies where the guys are feuding in one company and then a tag team in the next. You're like that. Okay. Well, it's like, it's like if you look tuned into progress and seeing British Strong sail together, you turn into XT uh, takeover and you see Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn. Aye, well, each other. Xavier wins as well. There's one guy. Oh, the, do you know what? There's, there's one guy I feel so bad for because Xavier Woods, when he was, was a Conscious Creed. Conscious Creed, aye. Seen he was in. That was when TNA yet again was going through this like, dark period mm-hmm. where. It just seemed miserable, but he, he had he had really good matches. I remember watching one. I did get concussed. I can't remember what match it was. But I remember I seen him get kicked in the head, and you just seen him go blank. And I'd need to look at a match up what it was. But the guy got volleyed, and you just seen him. He had the big afro at the time, and he just no, you seen him getting volleyed in the head. That's the big afro. Well, he's got uh, it's not it's, it's not it's, it's, it's the seventies afro he had then. No. But um, I mean. The X Division, as we've talked about before, there's so many good guys that entertained when you watched it regardless. So, I mean, Scott, mm-hmm. if you had to pick one, and I know that's like asking you to pick for a box of crayons, <laughs> but what what one would you say was your favourite through the whole of the X Division? Uh, I remember going through this, I didn't want to pick someone kind of obvious, so I picked Jay Lethal. Right. Because I think when I was properly watching, because I'd seen some older stuff like repeats on Bravo, but like when I was watching properly from like where they were at the time, he was one of the key players of the X-Division. He went back and forth with Doug Williams, who I think is quite underrated in his stuff. In the uh, X-Division, they had a great match at Bound for Glory 2010. He had their feud with Robbie E when Robbie was still very early and he really helped him make, make him look good because Robbie E got better. But when Robbie came in, he was very much a blatant rip-off of what Jersey Shore was because that was picking up. I saw that magic cookie and see when she just screamed oh. at the side of the ring I'm like somebody like, hit her like they had Robbie won the X-Vision title from Jay briefly because Cookie like sprays him with hairspray or something like that ah uh, it was something horrendous along these storylines yeah. yeah but Jay he's like a six time X-Vision champion he was a real like standout guy in the division at the time like and also the fact he was around when they decided all these guys are just bland vanilla midgets as they would be called at the time that's what they call that's what guys like Ken Ash would call them he's like, he's like so we need to give them all wacky gimmicks Donji Duck becomes the guru and they made decided oh you do a pretty good uh, macho man impression do you want to be black machismo and as silly as that gimmick was he went on pay-per-view and he beat Kurt Angle 
for the X Division title, and I watched that match for the first time last night. And still, uh, Angle is in his second of three matches that night because he won all the belts. So he's they're talking about well, Angle's probably looking ahead towards his match with Abyss, and they're basically making it look like Jay Lee's out of his depth here. So Angle just wrestling down that slap in the back. He sees like he doesn't belong in the ring with me, and then he rolls him up after the uh, the ankle lock and look on both their faces like did that just happen? I mean, the one thing you uh, obviously you, if you if you if you're not seen Jay Lethal, go to YouTube, type in Jay Lethal, Ric Flair. It's the funniest thing. Pretty much you that. Do me, you can't. Ric Flair throws a tantrum. <laughs> some you clothes get ripped, <laughs> and it's the best piece of wrestling you'll probably watch. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's just the fact that beer money are in the back, you can tell they're trying their best not to laugh and fair play to them because <laughs> if I was, I would just be, I'll be rolling on the ground laughing. Yeah. One of the things about Jerry though, like you get, remember the time he did the feud with Doug Williams, he feuded with Williams and won the title from him because he was a part of Fortune so he was selling the X Division while doing this thing with Ric Flair and then also, I picked him for what he's been able to do since he was in the X-Vision. He went to Ring of Honor. He's been a multiple-time TV champion. He's the longest reign champion with over 500 days. And during that 500-day reign, he unified it with the world title and he walked around with both belts. So basically, he went from just being the guy in the X- building the X-Vision probably wasn't going to go much further to being the guy that Ring of Honor for a while was quite honestly built around. He was their top guy because he started that run as a heel. By the time he lost it to Adam Cole, he was a, the, their top face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steven... You have to pick one from the selection box oh. of X Division. Oh, Wendy! <laughs> Come on, Joe. Wendy! Oh, gotta go, Joe. I missed. Wendy! <laughs> it's like, he's, because he was so out the stereotype, you know. I mean, I know we talked earlier on, there wasn't a weight limit initially, it was just anything goes. But still, very early on, there was just so many of these kind of high flyer guys. There wasn't really a, a guy who stood out as that kind of. Out, out the box type figure, but Joe was perfectly that, and I think AJ was a, AJ was going to be a star mm. at the start of teenage. But Samoa Joe was the first real example of a guy who they brought in a bit. Still, a, still not the unfinished product. Then he made them. By the time he left, he was an absolute superstar. You know, he had Don West screaming two hundred and eighty pounds. Never done a move. He's a. For a guy's size, it's the way he moves, even still today, given you know where he is in WWE still, uh, the way he moves, the way he can just manipulate in the ring, as Scott said earlier on, the way he can just, just, just the simple sidestep, Aye. but it works so well, you've got, just there's the submission based, the high, the high power, I could talk all day about some more Joe, because he is, <laughs> just, how that man is not a world champion in WWE, I know it's disgraceful, also how it took him so long to become a world champion TNA, as well, you know, but he did eventually become one, and then I even fell flat, you know. So because they had him, they I paired him with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And Scott uh, Hall. I think the timing was bad for when Joe got the title. It should have been better than what it was, and he should have went back to the way he was originally, just bloodying people up and but, basically keeping the title hostage. But I would go with Joe. I think he was. I think he's the star of that division. Quacko, mm-hmm. you have to pick one. Oft. Okay, so I'm gonna. To give him a special shout-out, I'm going to go with Maverick or Rockstar Spud. <laughs> I have to go with him. Now, okay, admittedly, I never watched TNA during this point. In fact, I've only ever watched one episode of TNA. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, 
I'll, I'll, ah, I remember that one. I was going to say, not clear, <laughs> not good enough to get you watch the next week, but it's good enough. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, Tessa Blanchard was made an event at Offside. So, basically, I would have to shout out to Maverick because that guy, like, I followed him on other promotions and then the scenes and whatever. And the things that that guy does, um, he's just a great entertainer he's, and he can wrestle as well. And he's he, well revered. Yeah. Over, he, back, over here. They love, they love him on this scene. Oh yeah, I mean, like Ashton Smith, um, he's someone that you, you can tell, see the, the tweets he puts out, you can tell yeah, he looks up to this guy and he's also actually mentioned on our uh, interview that Derek done, cheap plug. Yeah. Um, he's just someone that can tell a story, get, and it's, it could be goofy, it could be anything, but you just get invested. I mean, now the whole world is interested on in whether he's consummated his marriage, like, come on. What's the latest update on that? Still, still not. I still don't think it's happened. He signs off every tree as still not consummated my marriage. <laughs> I mean, just the wanted posters alone are funny. He is a good comedian. He's, he's, but as you say, he can go when he want, when they want him to. Ah, yeah, he, he can wrestle. That's the thing. But I think he gets obviously I thought a lot more for like his his comedy stuff. Was there no point where he got abducted by Matt Hardy in TNA as well? Probably. He got kidnapped or something like that. I remember that some vaguely. <laughs> I, there was a weird clip in 2014 where Jeff Hardy became Willow uh, and EC3 oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, went hunting in the woods for his, for Willow I thought it was Willow it wasn't Matt I thought it was Matt for some reason um, but, 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 but like he he was still able to look good after putting over a baby he put over Matt Hardy's son in a match <laughs> <laughs> and still made it look good um, myself this was honest I've, I've followed the X Division since day one and it's asking me to pick your favourite child. Just unless you've only got the one. Oh, wow! <laughs> wow! But I mean, because I say that they're all so unique in their own different ways. Say like that's what what, was, what Wilson's been saying throughout. It wasn't just a full division of high flyers. It wasn't a full division of submission guys. It was a, everything. It was kind of like MMA or wrestling. You had guys who could do a bit of everything. I'm going to going to say Pete Williams. Ooh. Because Pete Williams, the Canadian Destroyer, was a move that nobody had ever seen. And people, I, I watched a match once where he lost, and he did, people didn't have a chance to it. And he, he chant, everybody was chanting at the end of the match for the Canadian Destroyer. And he just done it. Mm-hmm. He, he lost the match, match was everywhere, he didn't need to do it. Crowd were chanting, he just thought, I'll just do it and hit the Canadian Destroyer. He also had, do you remember they put him on the Dudley's done it for a wee while? put them upside down in the tree of woe, stood on their groin and sung Oh Canada. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, he, had a, he had so many different moves he'd never seen, but I, I'd say Pete Williams. Didn't really like the whole thing with Scott Steiner. Didn't, didn't really like that. But when he was with Team Canada and he was pretty much, he was the poster boy for X Division, the, the division at that time. I think Pete Williams was just solid, just absolutely solid. So, I mean, that concludes the X Division show. Not fully, because we have a birthday here. If we're oh. getting something struck, oh. we have a birthday of Mr. McLeod here, Scott, and it's not a birthday without without cake. Oh. <laughs> so, we have Sub- a surprise! Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Scott! Hello, Sam. Happy birthday. Thank you. Ooh, is that uh, a little bit of the bubbly I see? Yes. A little bit of bubbly. Oh, just, just a little bit of bubbly over here. Would oh, you like some bubbly? I would like some bubbly quack. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, 
<laughs> At this point, Scott is looking very nervous. Yes, yes, guys. I am cashing in my oh! Oh! on Scott on his birthday. Do you have no soul? You know something? That is the biggest heel turn I have seen in a long time. So if you don't know, Sarah is our current spell change in the tin the holder. Hi guys. So as, as part of that, Sarah changed... Did you actually come from Edinburgh for this? Yes I did. <laughs> yes I did. So... To let, a special day. To, oh. let, to let the listeners and Scott know, Sarah has been hiding in the women's bathroom for the past hour. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying she's serious? <laughs> Speller, I wish I could say I was joking. Stephen, would you take his cake before I put it in his face? Oh, 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 oh. But it's not fully over yet, as there is as Scott is our champion. There's a question for him to put his belt on the line, and I go back to Shrak. I kind of looked up a question, and quite relevant up to today, not in like ancient like the X Division. So the question is, how many times, excluding Titus O'Neil's inaugural win? Has a 24-7 title changed hands. That oh, fuck. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah, for keeping a PC there. <laughs> Wait, sorry. So how many times has it changed hands? <laughs> Not gonna, including... I'm gonna, I'm gonna be... Sorry, I can't believe you've actually driven from Edinburgh. <laughs> I just can't believe you've the day. <laughs> Honestly, this is worse than the big Sarah, man, the boss man with the big show's dad's casket. I don't know you. She's gone full heel. I'm expecting a super kick after this. See, this pen is shite, by the way. Kick in the face! Oh, man! <laughs> Thank you. See if Scott wins this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on, what did I do if I get a draw? Then he had a question. Then he'll cry! Right. Then he, I will cry. Whoever's closest. Whoever's closest. Whoever's closest gets it. Right. Uh, ask them to reveal their answer first. I thought he means very tiny, by the way. It's alright. What's your number, Scott? 24. Scott has 24. Sarah. I have got 44. Shrak, what is the answer? It's 44. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Are you fucking serious? Presenting your you Rain Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet World Champion, the Bath Bomb Princess. Sarah! Green! Where's my bubbly? Sean, what's the hardest question? Oh, well, you can have as much of that cake as you like. <laughs> you can set that cake up your ass. <laughs> Did that just happen? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I've completely forgot what the next show is now. <laughs> so <Let's>... me... Shut <laughs> So next, while Strack regains his composure, next week we are having the Debating Chamber show, Thank which you, is Stephen. hosted by myself. It is a debate on wrestling with a twist. Big thanks to Strack for hosting. I'm never doing this again. Oh my god! <laughs> and to myself, I'll fight myself. Yes, thank you, Stephen. Scott? Oh. No. <laughs> and Kwaku? Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Let's make it tense. <laughs> this has been Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. And we'll see you next week. Maybe. No, maybe not. <laughs> it looks like Scott's going to murder us this room. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the fuck you think you're doing. Whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of dick
tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, whatever the f*** you're doing, that's what you should be doing. I don't care if it's your mum's birthday, I don't care if she's feeling contractions, get on it right now!